1: This place is no place for civilized man. Take it in the guts, Barry. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple question. Dancers, you get all and together. you go through that doorway,
2: to the greatest
1: to world. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel 3CR's look at what's going on in the Australian film industry. But before we kick off, looking at some of the things that uh, are happening down at the Capitol Cinema in the city, best films you've never seen. Uh, which will probably be legion amongst all of us, let's be honest. But these two have been uh, picked out, and there's going to be a couple of others in the series. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to put forward to you that there are five double passes, yes, five double passes on offer to a Palestinian film, which is going to be shown on Sunday, the 25th, February 6th, 30 p.m. at Nova Cinema in Carlton. Uh, all we need is your name and uh, your number and uh, you can give us a call on 03 9419 That's nine four one nine eight three seven seven for a double pass. It's part of the Melbourne Science Fiction uh, Film Festival which is running over the weekend. If you want to find out more about that in particular, you can listen in to on-screen Melinda's show on at 11 o'clock on Saturday because the uh, curator of that event is going to be on and tell you all about it. But if you want uh, to get a double pass to the Palestinian film LID this Sunday, the 25th, of February 6, 30 p.m. Give us a call and leave us your name and your number and your, your name will be on the door. You just have to go up to the Nova Candy Bar and say, my name's on the door. So 94198377. You're on Showreel with Annie. Now we'll go to the meat and potatoes of the program. <coughs> Before <laughs> It's been a... um. A long, long day for me. I've been up since five. Um, That's why I'm a little bit rushed. But this is uh, an interesting discussion we're going to set set in train with Alexia Canis and Adrian Danks, both from RMIT. And you've been collaborating with RMIT Events with the program Best Films You've Never Seen. Great name. You've got to admit, even if
0: you have seen them. If you have seen them,
1: yeah. <laughs> even if you have to. In fact, uh, uh, it's um, the screen at the cal- uh, the um, uh, capital is such a fabulous screen, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's a great. It's a great venue. I mean, it's hundred years old this year. Turns a hundred.
1: It turns hundred. Yeah. Yeah, in mm.
2: November. So yeah, this is all part of a leading into a kind of celebration, I guess, for the whole year.
1: Yeah, right, oh, okay. Um, the, uh, the thing about that particular cinema is that it brings you a, a sense of um, the grandeur that, uh, yeah. that uh, cinema had and also the uh, elegance. Absolutely. Yeah, 1924
2: it was yep. it? November yeah, 1924.
0: 100 years ago, yeah. But it's uh, one of the first picture palaces built in Australia. So, yeah, it definitely has that uh, classical Hollywood kind of grandeur. Um, yep. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is And beautiful. the
2: place where many Hollywood films screened for the first time as well. So it did open with the, the Ten Commandments in 1924, Céspede de Mille. So, But many different different studios actually had control of the cinema for periods of time. So which we, we ran a program, which I run the Tech as well. We ran a program just before lockdown, uh, showing a series of Marlene Dietrich films. And uh, we screened them and that was 90 years since they'd previously screened first time in Australia at the same venue. So it's extraordinary when you can do things like that. Um, it's one of the three big picture palaces of Melbourne. Uh, we're very lucky in Melbourne that the three of them survive in one form or another, the other being the Forum and of course the Regent. Um, the capital of course has the added... At the added extra, even though it's not the full cinema it once was, because it was at over 2,000 seats, it has, still has the ceiling. Uh, and it was also designed by um, Marion Mahoney and Walter Billy Griffin, of course, who also famous for designing Canberra.
1: Yeah, that's, can you imagine being in a cinema with 2,000
2: other people? Yeah, mm. uh, it's hard to imagine, I know. But if, I think you can get a bit of a sense of that if you go to the region. Uh, when they're in a musical, you know, when when it's completely full, imagine what that would be like for, for a film because that's what it used to be.
1: And when people were allowed to smoke in Absolutely. cinemas.
2: Absolutely. And the Capitol had a – I don't think it works still, but it had a special feature where part of the ceiling would open – to, wow. let, to let the smoke out
1: mm-hmm. oh that's fantastic because i remember because i'm you know i'm pretty long in the tooth i remember years ago when i was in my 20s i went to england and um i was in a cinema at in brighton watching a film and it was uh, early in the day and there was hardly anybody there and someone was smoking a cigarette mm-hmm. and i was thinking isn't that amazing that people were allowed to smoke in cinemas in such enclosed spaces. Absolutely. Yeah. And
2: in Britain, it's it finished later than it did here. Cause I, remember, I I was from England I came in. I was very young. But I did go to the cinema there when I was very young where, yeah, it was full of smoke.
1: Yeah, it's such a weird <laughs> idea. It's such a weird concept. So, yeah. Espe- especially now that, of course, having clarity, it's like uh, watching a cinema film, and that's one of the reasons why it's interesting to go and see, even if you have seen some of these Absolutely. films before. <laughs> like. Uh, The Spike Lee film, uh, Do the Right Thing, as well as this other one, which I really actually want to go and see, The Night of the Hunter, which was uh, made in 1955. Um, These are the two films in the first iteration of uh, of, for this year, the best films you've never seen um, program. it's the screen the clarity the ability to see it in 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 its full
2: glory that's right without the smoke without the smoke
1: <laughs> but with an audience i and guess is the audience. other key thing
2: yeah
0: yeah so some people will have seen these films before perhaps at home on tv or on blu-ray or streaming but seeing them with an audience is a you know quite a different thing on, on a very
2: large screen yeah. you can yeah. you can't replicate that at home I and mean, people have good set-ups at home but it's just not the same it's and it's how these films were designed to be screened that's right so. what
1: do you mean about with company i don't know I can watch films without (laughs) not not being in company, but tell me about why you think it's Um, important.
0: I don't think necessarily that one is better than the other, although I probably prefer seeing films at the cinema, um, but it is a different experience, um, the kind of collective um, feeling. No, I
1: like seeing them on huge screens, but I don't need to be in company with other people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, teaching cinema, we're we're always in company of other people watching films. It's quite interesting, Um, and I've learned a lot about films and about how other people watch films from watching them with other people, I think. Um, it's very interesting and actually can um, make them more enjoyable in, in some ways.
1: And
2: change the film.
0: And change the film, that's right. In, in many yeah. ways
1: too. Yeah. yeah, right. So yeah, it's a, a a reasonable argument that you make there. Uh, and of, of course, you can also talk to another person about what they thought of it.
2: Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, of course, time and place is always different each time something happens, which is the key in communications theory. But um, the other thing that's uh, really fascinating to me about the choices that you make and the fact that you are showing films like the uh, Spike Lee film is from uh, the late 80s. And this other one, which is... uh, I looked into... I don't know, I'm not even sure I've seen it. I may have seen it. But it's uh, The Night of the Hunter. is the only film that uh, Charles Lawton directed, which is such a pity.
2: It's an incredible pity, actually, you know, that he only directed one film. Because mm. uh, it um, was a
1: flop financially, and but was is now considered to be one of the best films ever made.
2: Yeah, and its reputation in particular places, like in France, it's, you know, it, when they did, their, they did their equivalent, there's a sight and sound poll that happens every 10 years, but uh, France did their equivalent and it was number two in that poll. So it has an extraordinary reputation in in, in France. I mean, and Charles it's got the
1: wide, wonderful Robert Mitchum. Oh, he's in, and he's and, extraordinary. It's and an he's extra, amazing. It's an that extraordinary
2: guy. performance mm. as well. Probably his. I would say probably his greatest performance. I think Robert Mitchum would actually say that himself if he got him to talk seriously about his career. Um, I mean, Lawton was a very well-established actor, of course, before directing the film and, and also had directed for theatre before it. So on some level, I don't... It, you know, it was a bit of a one-shot film and he was hoping to direct further films but because of the failure of no, this oh, he
1: already one. had it in the pipeline.
2: Yeah, he had another film he was going to make, which they was... talk a, about Salt and
1: the Wound. They, yeah, they gave a little, him a... Uh, a tiny little role as a writer on on the uh, iteration that actually came out.
2: Yep, that's exactly yeah. So he he ended up making yeah, the, the Naked and the Dead the um uh, normal Norman Mailer novel. He was going to make a film of that, but because of the failure of this film, they decided that probably they probably needed someone else to direct it who was a bit more experienced and um, I mean Lawton is someone who didn't have experience directing film obviously and uh, you hear accounts of the making of the film and he was incredibly good and generous working with actors but and he'd obviously had significant experience as a film actor so he knew something about the mechanics of making films but he very much relied on the people he was working with in terms of choices about you know, things like the camera and the lenses and the various other things it's an extraordinary visual experience um um, but I think that that leads, it's, a, it's an extraordinary collaborative film, I think, um, as a result of that, all, all the pieces that came together to make this really quite singular film. And there is no other film like it.
1: Well, it's like a, that you bring this up. It's like a Baz Lohman's film. I, I would actually argue that if he didn't have the editors and a whole range of other things happening in the filmmaking process, he wouldn't be the so-called genius that he's supposed to be.
2: No, I agree with that. I mean, I remember someone said that about Moulin Rouge and they said, oh, it's really well edited. And I said, well, it possibly is, but it's edited a lot. <laughs> you know, um, so there's a lot of cutting around. I think it's a bit different here. I think Lawton does bring part of his...
1: I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, no, I think... Oh, it is a collaborative... Yeah. This is why this is so interesting that you're having these programs because it leads to this... Uh, I mean this program Showreel is about uh, the Australian film industry mm. and and uh, moving image industry and how it and the reason why I've got you in is because I think being able to show people a whole range of selections use your skills at uh, creating a program is so important for people to see how films have been made in different eras
2: Absolutely yeah it it, it absolutely is so I mean that's something that uh, and I You know, I think it's something that gets a bit undervalued, probably. Um, It's by certain figures in the film industry. So, I mean, having a film culture and a culture that makes things available. Melbourne is very, like, of all the cities in Australia, is very well served, I think, in terms of having ACME, in terms of having a range of other film cultural events. So, um, you know, new emerging filmmakers can actually get the opportunity to see things on the big screen. And the film festival is obviously a very successful thing here as well. But, yeah, it's 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 an integral part of the Australian film industry, whether you're showing Australian films or not. Um, although the Capitol, of course, we do show Australian films. In fact, last weekend, we screened Celia with Ann Turner there and The Bubble Dook, et cetera. So, yeah, I think it's an essential part. Of well,
1: the, uh, the Australian uh, films don't require... We don't have to have a cultural cringe about no, Australian films. No, we don't. Films. In fact, I do... I may, I've just recently made a decision that... Because uh, I do film reviews for the Saturday program here, I've decided that I'm going to start each... Review with an American film, blah, blah, Australian film, ha, French film, you know, I'm going to tell them what nationality of the film that they're going to be listening to and not just assume that they're all American.
2: No, no, because that can be an assumption. And, of course, there's a vast, wide world of film out there from all over the place.
1: Mm, So important, yeah. Uh, You're on Showreel with Annie, and we're having a chat with Alexia Canis and Adrian Danks. They're from RMIT. In fact, they're from the... uh cinema studies at RMIT, and they've been collaborating with RMIT events on Best Films You've Never Seen, a program for all of us out there, including their students. But uh, before we go on, I have to remind you that there's five double passes to a film that's being shown at NOVA on Sunday, the 25th, uh, 6.30pm at the NOVA, as I said. It's part of the Melbourne Science Fiction film festival and it's as i said it's a palestinian film who knew that they were making science fiction films it's called lid l-y-d and uh, you can go there for free if you give us a call on 9419 8377 have a very pleasant afternoon public transport's great
2: what's not great is that unless you've got a radio with you you can't listen to a 3cr
0: when you're on it until now, the Community Radio Plus app lets you listen to us wherever you are. Get on board and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. Times on my mind when I had to find
1: side. Hi. My name is Rolf Deheer. I don't live in Melbourne. I live across the water in Tasmania. But if I did live in Melbourne, my number one radio
2: station would be 3CR because it's about community and community matters.
1: And you're with Annie on Showreel and we've got Alexia Canis and Adrian Danks in the studio and they're talking about two films that they've put up to be shown. They're going to be shown on the 28th of February, Uh, Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee, Uh, he was a a fantastic fellow. That's on at 2.30pm and The Night of the Hunter is going to be on at 6pm on the 28th of February. They cost $15. This is the other thing about this. It's not only have they curated and decided on films that people really should have a look at, but you've made it possible for people to go and see them cheap prices. Too. Yeah,
0: that was really important to us, actually, the accessibility kind of piece. So um, it's $10 to see each film or 15 to see both.
1: Um, oh, cool. It's yeah. Even, better. Yeah, even yeah. better. Even better. Even <laughs> better. Even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And it's such a great, great venue. It, uh, if you love films, one of the reasons for why it's a great venue is because the screen is so large and encompassing and uh, apparently flat rather than curved.
2: It is flat, yes. yes. <laughs> this makes a difference. Yeah, and you get to admire the ceiling. There's a light show in the ceiling as well, which is something quite unique.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and yeah, well, you know, the whole thing. And the seats are comfortable. Yeah, That's the other thing. It, it's actually really lovely. Um, I uh, had the interesting experience of watching... Uh, I started to watch... Uh, they Shoot Horses, don't they? 1974 film. Um And I was just watching it on YouTube without, it was because I was doing something. But I started to watch how it was made and how different, I mean, one, I remember seeing it when I was very young and being absolutely blown away by it. But the recent uh, looking at it was such a revelation around directorial and, uh, what they're aiming to do and the psychology of filmmaking at the time that that was being made. So this is a film that was about uh, historical e- events in America, cultural events for working class people, 1930s, in poverty, but it was made in 1974 where people were releasing uh, the power of cinema to once again follow action follow action instead of it being static Uh, I'm absolutely I was really blown away about how different and how constrained our view is of how things are done by the cultural world we're in and uh, it's almost locked in that's why it's so important to come and see films like this isn't it
2: absolutely It's it's essential to come and see how films how relevant they might still be and certainly if we talk about do the right thing a little bit it's Nothing disturbingly changed, relevant yeah, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> disturbingly relevant still relevant night it, of the hunter is is quite a different experience because it's a it, it's very influenced by silent cinema. It's very modern and, and not modern at the same time. It's both naturalistic and incredibly expressionistic. So it, it's a fascinating kind of composite of so many things when you watch that film. Interestingly, in comparison to They Shoot Horses, Don't They, it's also set around the same time, of course, if you think about it, early 1930s. Um, so they're both films are set in the Depression and they reflect upon that, um, but from a distance. And that's interesting in its own right too. So the films are not just films to look on back on now in terms of, them in 1955, but also what they were reflecting on at the time as yeah. well um, is always important to recognise and think about too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I just find it really fascinating, and also we have contrived views about what history is. It's a uh, history is, um, for the moment, uh, is uh, described as being a finite thing, and there's this ludicrous notion that uh, everything's been discovered. But of course. Uh, that that's um it, it, these kind of films put a lie to that
2: they do they do
1: absolutely yeah
2: oh you said absolutely i thought you're going to say something that's okay um no though they do they do put a lie to that and that's why i mean a film like night of the hunter i mean do the right thing's quite different because do the right thing was of course a significant success at the oh, time oh yeah no race. it
1: was and also because it was bringing center stage The uh, black history of America, I mean, you know, the uh, the black experience. Uh, Yeah, um, it's it's kind of odd because uh, American uh, people who are are black are Americans. And this is what this film (laughs) is about. It's their experience within the context of their world. Mm. And it seems amazing that it took so long for someone to be allowed to do so. Mm.
0: I mean, it was, yeah, it was very successful. It was critically successful and successful with audiences, but it was also quite controversial. Yeah, it
1: was.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: lots of critics um, criticised its portrayal of representation of racism.
2: Um, and for being incendiary. That's right.
0: Well. Yeah. Which well, you course, can't have that. Yeah, no. which, of course, Spike Lee then called out as racist in in and of itself,
1: right? Yeah, It's a bit like the, uh, um, dare I say it, but the uh, Melbourne City Council vote not to support Palestine the other day the reason given was that it it was divisive
2: mm. yeah well <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah 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 that's that's not a bad description mm. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, the elephant in the room. Anyway, by the by, (laughs) (laughs) but I guess I guess some what's but also he's a great filmmaker. That's That's right. It's not just it's that's the beauty of it. It's it's alive. It was an it was a a wonderful expression of filmmaking uh, in a way that uh, reveals the need to be diverse.
0: That's right, and it kind of refuses to simplify things at the same time. So it's yeah, it kind of celebrates that. It's, it's, a messy, it's a messy film
2: yeah. I mean at one level it's not messy at all it's a very one, well made carefully made, very controlled film but there's a messiness to what it's about and what its conclusions are which mm. is really so central to the film mm. um, but also made by a filmmaker and that's another thing. Always it was think, early in his career. It's early in his career, it's a, the, I think it's the, Third, feature, yeah, the third mm-hmm. feature. He'd made a few short films before that. Um, it's
1: really hard to get a picture up.
2: Absolutely. And, and the start of an incredible career, mm. um, you know, full of fascinating films, some more successful than others, but, you know, that doesn't really, that's not the point. I mean, even some of the ones that are pretty bad are often the most interesting that he made. So he's always a fascinating filmmaker, but also a filmmaker with an incredibly distinctive style as well. Like, you, no one makes a film that looks or sounds quite like Spike Lee.
1: That's right, exactly. And if we go back to the night of the hunter, part of that thing about what you said earlier, which is that there, it seems so old-fashioned as well as so modern, the thirties and are like that. They are they are the bedrock of what is still being expressed now.
2: In many ways, yeah. And culturally, you know, it's when a lot of things really emerged. When radio, obviously, really emerged, cinema really became such a major force, which already was. But of course, recorded music and. Amplification is actually something that it, really, you know.
1: It's it's the yeah. mindset of the modern world. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's I a mean, reason
2: why, like particularly in the set, like in the 70s when the film, like, they're, they shoot horses, don't they? Um, the early 70s, but um, comes around. But also a whole series of other that looking back to the 30s becomes a really major part of the cinema of that time. So, yeah, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're part of. Are you going to continue this collaboration? Are you the ones choosing the films? Yes, we are. Yeah, we started. <laughs> Can you this... give us a peek into what's
0: coming up? Um, we're not confirmed yet on on titles, but we have been talking quite a bit about um, screening the Spirit of the Beehive.
2: Yes, we have,
0: and we're hoping to do that this, this so year. So that's
2: a Victor Erlihte film from the nineteen seventy three. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful film, extraordinary film about childhood, uh, set in kind of. Uh, Franco's Spain so it's all about that but very influential on a lot of films that have come Celia actually interesting screened the other night that she talked about the film in terms of it being a massive influence on that film Mm -hmm. but also films like The Devil's Backbone are so beholden to the spirit of the beehive but part of the reason not the reason but part of the inspiration for this is the the sight and sound poll that was done a couple of years ago, three of us in cinema studies at RMIT were asked to contribute to that, completely separate from one another. Um, and we have, Lexia and I probably have fairly you know, comparable tastes, but the other person, very different to us. They had one of the Lord of the Rings films in their list, for example. We all managed, all three of us chose The Spirit of the Beehive.
1: Oh, well, there you go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful
0: Which film. Which is quite extraordinary. Um, yeah.
2: You know, and it rated quite highly, but it's not like everyone chose it. You no. Know? No. So it says something about maybe the place of that film in Melbourne a bit. It's shown quite a lot and mm. or has been. So, yeah. So th- that's one film that we definitely would consider showing. I-, I guess one other thing just to briefly mention is the some of the connections between or the connections between the two films that we're screening yeah. next week, because at one level they're, they're radically different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why film. did
1: you choose them?
0: Why did we choose them? Um, well, there's some. In, yeah, they are Why already- did you think they were alike? Uh, Well, they are in some ways, (laughs) as in Spike Lee's film directly references The Night of the Hunter, Um, as in uh, one of the most famous shots from The Night of the Hunter, Um, and that is of Robert Mitchum's character, Harry Powell, and the two tattoos he has on his hands. One hand says love, one hand says hate. Um, So Spike Lee directly
1: references that. That's so fantastic because this this is obviously entered into – the iconography of the modern world, but people Absolutely. won't know where it's from.
2: No, and actually, it's from the book Night of the Hunter, because I read the novel. Yeah, right, It there came you go. from that. Fabulous. Go on. Yeah, so I um, love like that sort of
0: thing. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's, a, it's kind of an exciting connection. Um, and so Spike Lee, I suppose, would have seen this film in film school, I guess. He's part Absolutely. of that kind of film school generation, like very cine literate uh, filmmaker. So there are references to all kinds of films in Do the Right Thing. Um, but Night of the Hunter is a key one, I think. They also happen to sit side-by-side side on the sight and sound list, which they is do. quite interesting. They I do. think Night of the Hunter is 24 and do the right thing is 25. Or or something, or I anyway yeah, no, it's that's what it says, it's 24 yeah. and 25. Yeah, yeah they're side-by-side, side, yeah, yeah. which is kind of an interesting sort of coincidence, I suppose. What, did, what was
1: on the top? What was the first one? I mean, well, that's so hierarchical, but it's It a is,
0: lot. it is. But actually the reason we started the series in the first place was because in 2022 when the list came out, there was a big well, I guess, controversy, controversy. Uh, because Chantal oh, Ackerman's uh, John Dillman um, won, um, and it beat out Hitchcock's Vertigo, which oh, had yeah, been yeah. at the I number... hate that film, actually. Do you? Yeah, I, I mean, don't hate that film, but
2: I, I voted for both of them. Yeah, <laughs> I love that film, but I, it's fascinating. I John don't know, Dillman. I've always hated that film. Yeah. I
1: hate the character of the blonde woman. I, I just oh, find okay. the blonde woman is so like a cut-out um, character from... You know, when kids cut... Uh, uh, shapes of yeah. the woman. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's like for me. Yeah. That's what she is. And I she, really dislike it. She's, really she's dislike it. <laughs> a construction. I really dislike it. I really dislike it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's kind
2: of the, the what point that the, fi- the film's about too. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, it is. And stop. it's quite critical <laughs> about that too. Yeah, I have yeah, so to, say, yeah. say, to be really fair But I really
0: film. hated
1: it as a yeah. kid. I really, really
0: hated yeah, it. Yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. Um, but anyway, that came second. And the first film was this kind of epic feminist Uh, masterpiece which was yeah yeah, from the mid-70s which was um you know Mm -hmm. caused caused quite a controversy in sort of film circles and someone said to me um I bet no one's ever seen a lot many people haven't seen that film though and I thought well we should show it yeah yeah. and so that's why we started the series and we we
2: started with that film obviously
1: oh I see I see so you 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 are um trendsetters yeah, <laughs> de- definitely. <laughs>
2: in a way, I mean, it's a film that has been screened. I mean, we've screened the Chantal Ackerman season at the cinema. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so it's not. It's not. It, it, it was both surprising to me and not surprising that it was. You know
1: that what I mean? What the people out there in the, in the world are as subtle and sophisticated <laughs> as that.
2: That's right. Yeah, yeah, that someone never forget. Yeah.
0: yeah, that someone would like to watch a woman peeling potatoes for three hours or yeah. three and a half and hours. and it's the
2: kind of film yeah. that probably quite a few people who contributed to the list would said like that's a film that's so far away from, but because of the nature of the film, it's a film if you want to, you want if you want to choose a film of that kind. That's a film. That's one probably the film you would choose, Mm. right? So well,
1: literally we have to get out. Yep, we've we've
2: out. Could have kept kept going, couldn't we? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs)
1: thank you very much for coming in and chatting. Thanks, Thanks.
2: thanks, Annie.
0: Billy brewing up the tea. Smoke gets up my nose The river's flowing endlessly Yeah, on and on it goes And the river's full of clouds today So is the sky But the sun is trying to make its way You and I
2: Here I see reflections on the water
0: Of Eucalyptus I
2: am
0: this country's daughter To the end of my wandering. White birds sitting on a limb. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.